Welcome to Healthy Vision Talk Radio, the podcast for people in search of a physician with alternative solutions for their eye problems. From the best-selling, award-winning, world's-only homeopathic ophthalmologist, here's your host, Dr. Edward Kondrat. Welcome to Healthy Vision. This is your host, Dr. Edward Kondrat. And this evening, what we're going to do is we're going to play a clip from the Vision event. And it's entitled, When to Have Surgery and When Not to. So the entire Vision event, which is a one-day event of various topics, is available on DVD, video, and audio. You can go to chondrotevent.com for more information. And also you can get information on next year's event, uh, January the 31st, 2020. So go to chondrotevent.com or give the office a call at 800-430-9328. So let's begin. When to have surgery and when not to. Okay, so now I'd like to share some information on when to have eye surgery and when not to. Because many, many of you are faced with a decision. Recently I went for my eye exam and I thought for sure he was going to look inside my eye and say, uh-oh, you got a hemorrhage, Dr. Kondrat, and I'm going to have to immediately do an injection in your eye. That was kind of like my fear. And here it is, you know, alternative eye doctor, wet macular degeneration, you know, all these thoughts. But fortunately, he said to me, everything looks good inside your eye. So I was happy. But, um, you know, many of you are put under pressure by your eye doctor. Um, you know, if you don't have surgery, you're going to go blind. And if you don't listen to me, you, you know, need to go to another eye doctor. And I think that's rather unfortunate because I'm a firm believer that one of the best ways to treat any disease is to uh, have a balanced autonomic nervous system, reduce stress. And whenever an eye doctor tells you, you know, you're going to go blind if you don't listen to me, that's going to cause a lot of stress, especially if you're reluctant to have the surgery. But there are some conditions where surgery is absolutely indicated, absolutely indicated. So I want to share those with you and other conditions where you need to be very cautious about going into surgery. Remember, there's no such thing as a simple operation. Even the most simple operation can lead to complications, including blindness and even death. I mean, I don't want to scare you, but those things are true. So the bottom line is, if you're having functioning vision and you're not disabled, you really need to consider whether surgery is your best option. So these are some of the conditions that I feel are on the list when you need surgery. Narrow angle glaucoma. This is when you have a, an acute, quick rise in intraocular pressure. It can cause severe pain. And it's a simple laser procedure to correct this condition. And I joke that even a mediocre eye surgeon having a bad day, you'll still get good results. So it's an operation with a low complication rate. The signs and symptoms and what happens with narrow glaucoma, because this is different than the most common form of glaucoma, which is open angle. Then we have retinal detachment. Typically, most cases of retinal detachment, you do need surgical intervention. 
because if surgery is not performed, it can lead to scar tissue and blindness. And if it's delayed, it can lead to major problems with your vision. Uh, and also a non-clearing vitreous hemorrhage. Well, what is that? Uh, sometimes, if you're on blood thinners, if you cough or sneeze or have an elevation of your blood pressure or you have a small vessel break in your eye, the eye will fill with blood. That's called vitreous hemorrhage. When I was in training, we were taught, wait three to six months. Most of the cases will clear on their own. But now a lot of doctors are aggressive. You got a vitreous hemorrhage. I got to go in there and clean the blood, and otherwise you're going to go blind. Most of the cases will resolve. So when I say a non-clearing vitreous hemorrhage, a vitreous hemorrhage does not go away. Diabetes. Diabetes, we have to treat a little bit differently because diabetes can cause devastating problems to the retina. And typically, when you begin to have leaking blood vessels with diabetes, you do need to have some type of treatment. It may be laser surgery, uh, a vitrectomy, or some type of procedure in order to save your vision. So these are the big four conditions that I think are on the list of, of when you need surgery. Typically, in open-angle glaucoma, there's a little drainage area on the side called the trabecular meshwork and normally the fluid is, is produced and it's drained through that meshwork. Sometimes that meshwork becomes blocked or narrow much like if you have a slow drip on your faucet in your bathtub. If the drain's open it'll drip and all the water will leave but if that drain's blocked the tub's going to fill with water and it's going to overflow. So that's what happens with glaucoma. Now, in narrow angle or acute glaucoma, this area here becomes blocked, either because the iris or colored part of the eye is pushed up or the lens. Sometimes when you get a cataract, the lens begins to grow, gets a little fatter, and it begins to push on the front part of the eye. So these are factors that can cause an acute angle closure glaucoma. Typically, it's more common in people that are farsighted, because when you're farsighted, you tend to have a smaller eye, a shorter eye. When you're nearsighted, your eye is longer and bigger. So when you do develop closure, you get a sudden increase in your pressure, can cause severe pain, and Surgery will relieve the pain and essentially cure the condition. Early on in my practice, I was always a conservative surgeon. And I can remember examining, it seems like yesterday, this 86-year-old nun, the sweetest lady in the world. And I looked at her, and she had narrow angles. And I said, oh, my goodness, she is a prime candidate for an angle attack. And I said to her sister, you're at risk, but why don't we wait, and if you ever develop pain, give me a call immediately, and we have to do the laser opening. But anyway, a week later, she was blind in that eye. She had an angle attack and lost her vision. And so I still have the guilt that I should have been a little bit more aggressive. So this narrow angle glaucoma can be a very, very serious problem. 
and I never want to hear from any of you folks. And I get calls all the time. My doctor wants to do laser surgery, you know, because I have narrow angles. Please consider it. It's a very safe operation. And as I mentioned, a mediocre surgeon having a bad day, you'll probably still get good results. Jim's laugh laughing. He's an eye surgeon. Do you agree with me? <laughs> so this is kind of what happens. On the left, that's an open angle. Everything's flowing and functioning fine. And on the right, that's a narrow angle. Now, sometimes you have what we call a combined mechanism. You may, the doctor may diagnose you with open angle when you're on eye drops, but the pressure just isn't getting low enough. And he may say, well, you may have a narrow angle component. Let's do a laser. I wouldn't argue with them. Get the laser. Because what we do is we make a tiny little hole in the iris. It's imperceptible. There's no visual complications. It's a very simple procedure. So that's one procedure that I really feel that you should, should have if advised. And, of course, if any of you, you know, get that message from your eye doctor, you need it, I'd be happy to review your records to make sure you know, that it's indicated. Because now there's actually testing that we can do. We can actually measure the angle. Uh, we have a device called the OptiView, Ocular Coherence Tomography. We can actually do a scan of the angle and see exactly if it's closed or open. That's something we can do. And typically, with a narrow angle attack, you get severe pain. I'm talking about the worst headache in your life, nausea and vomiting. It is severe pain because the pressure goes up quickly. It can go up to 70 or 80. We're coming up to a break on healthy vision. And you're listening to when to have surgery and when not to. And if you'd like a complete recording of the vision event, go to chondrotevent.com. That's chondrotevent.com. And when we come back, we'll continue with when to have surgery and when not to. Be right back after this break. Now, the retinal detachment. You know, the retina is probably one of the most important layers in our eye. It's like the film in the camera. If your film is damaged or you don't have any film, you're going to be blind. So when the retina becomes separated from the back of the eye, that's a retinal detachment. And typically, surgery is indicated. Now, there are many cases where you may have a retinal tear or a retinal hole, and surgery not, may not be indicated. But that's different than a detachment. Sometimes you can get a small tear or a hole, and nothing has to be done. It'll heal by itself. But that's up to the surgeon to evaluate the prognosis. But a detachment certainly needs to be addressed. And here's what it looks like in the back of the eye, this area here where the retinas become detached. So imagine the carpet in this room is nice and flat on the floor, but if you get a detachment, it starts to roll, bubbles get underneath it, and the retina begins to lose function. So typically, the sign of a retinal detachment or symptom is you will be seeing a curtain coming down, a blurred area, flashes of light. Now, there's another condition called a vitreous detachment. And it's much different than a retinal detachment. 
everybody in this room will probably get a vitreous detachment. The rule of thumb is you take your age, and that's the percent chance of you having a vitreous detachment. I'm 70, and there's a 70% chance that I have a detached vitreous. If you're 100, we know you got a detached vitreous. <laughs> now, a, the eye is filled with a jelly called the vitreous jelly. And as we get older, that vitreous jelly begins to shrink, and it normally pulls away from the back of the eye freely. Sometimes there's attachments. That jelly has attachments to the retina, and it causes a tear of the retina. And that's how you get a detached retina. So very often, the vitreous detachment will lead to a detached retina. But there's probably only 1 in 15,000 vitreous detachments that will lead to a detached retina. So just because you have a vitreous detachment doesn't mean your retinas detach. But if you do have flashes of light or a sudden onset of floaters, it's a good idea to have a thorough eye evaluation to make sure your retina is healthy. So I hear many people call me up, oh, I have a detached vitreous, a vitreous detachment. Should I have surgery? My doctor wants to have surgery. It's not necessary. A detached vitreous is very common. Another problem that the detached vitreous will cause is pulling on the macula. And I'm going to talk about macular wrinkle, macular pucker, epiretinal membrane, macular hole. There's many, many different names for this, which can also be a result of the detached vitreous. So what can you do to reduce the side effects of a detached vitreous? It's almost impossible to prevent the vitreous from detaching, either that the only way to do that is stop the clock, stop the aging process. But I do think hydration, good nutrition, all the things that we talked about, because typically if there's inflammation in the eye, this is one of the causes of the complications of a detached vitreous. Now, this is blood inside the eye from a diabetic. Now, most people... If you have a healthy eye and you get a vitreous hemorrhage, like I said, we can wait and see if the blood will clear. And there are homeopathic remedies and other treatments that we can help improve the uh, absorption of the blood. But if you're a diabetic, I really believe that a diabetic, we have to be a little bit more aggressive with the vitreous hemorrhages. And here's another example of a diabetic beginning to get some hemorrhages and some leakage of blood vessels. And there's various treatments that the doctor will do. Now, there was a national study done called the TAC study, trial to assess chelation therapy. And I've talked about this before, but this was a $30 million, 10-year study looking at the effects of chelation therapy in cardiac patients. And the study was done with sick cardiac patients. You either had to have a heart attack, a stent, on one or more cardiac drugs, active chest pain. These were sick cardiac patients. And the purpose of this study was to actually disprove chelation, not to prove it. They were divided into two groups. One group got sugar water, and the other group got chelation. Now, the doctor did not know what the patient was getting, and the patient did not know, and the statistician didn't know. So it was a pretty good study. It's called a controlled study.
At the end of the 10 years, they broke the code. Much to the surprise of cardiologists, the group that got chelation had a 38, 30% reduction in a major cardiac event. 30%. This was the lead article in a major medical journal called the Journal of the American Medical Association. But still, cardiologists deny the benefit of chelation. Uh, last year, I, I had Thanksgiving dinner with my son's father-in-law, who's one of the top cardiologists in Florida. And I said, Nikolai, what do you think of the tax study? He said, I never heard of it. What, what is it? And he said, oh, it was a study to, to uh, prove chelation. It was a study looking at chelation. He says, oh, they disproved that years ago. So they're blinded. But the reason why I'm bringing it up, um, chelation, talking about diabetes, the subset, the patients that were diabetic responded the best to chelation, the best. They were like 10% better. So if you're a diabetic and you're having eye problems or any problems, I would run, not walk to the nearest doctor and get chelation. It's probably one of the best therapies you can get to preserve the blood vessels in your body, your brain, your heart, and your eye. And um, later on today, we're going to be talking about chelation therapy. This afternoon, we'll talk about chelation therapy. When to avoid surgery. Cataracts, not having symptoms. Now, it just breaks my heart. There are so many people that are getting cataract surgery done unnecessarily. I hear this time and time again that um, went to the doctor. He told me I had cataracts. I was surprised because my vision was pretty good. But since Medicare is paying for it, let me get it taken care of. Um, you know, at one time, the level of vision, you had to be 2070 or worse to qualify for cataract surgery. Now I think doctors are pushing patients with 2040 or 2050. I was at the, the Hawaiian Eye meeting, and we had different case presentations, and there was a patient with 2040 vision, which is vision good enough to drive. And the conclusion of the panel was, well, we should probably do cataract surgery on him to improve his vision. It's, it's, it's a shame. I mean, cataract surgery is a very, very successful operation, but there are complications. And uh, one big complication, I believe, is a progression or development of macular degeneration, possibly glaucoma, other issues. And earlier, I, I talked about the article that was presented, late intraocular lens dislocations, the next epidemic. They're finding out that patients who had cataract surgery 15 to 25 years ago are now getting their lenses dislocated because the capsule is contracting. It's going to be the next epidemic. I'm not totally against cataract surgery, but if you have a cataract and you're visually limited and maybe you're, you tried some alternative treatments and you're trying to treat the underlying cause and you're not functioning, I'll be the first one to say, get the cataract surgery. Wet macular degeneration. This is another really tough area. Do you really need surgery? Um, because the studies show that 
injections may help the first year, but after the first year, there is a decline in vision. The CAT study showed that everybody who got injections for wet macular degeneration had a loss of vision after five years. So I do believe the injections can help initially, but long term, they may not be your best choice, especially with studies that are coming out that show that 20% of patients who get injections will develop um, retinal atrophy. We're coming up to a break on healthy vision, and you're listening to when to have surgery and when not to. And if you'd like a complete recording of the vision event, go to chondrotevent.com. That's chondrotevent.com. And when we come back, we'll continue with when to have surgery and when not to. Be right back after this break. Welcome back to Healthy Vision. This is your host, Dr. Edward Kondrat, and you're listening to a clip from the Vision event called When to Have Surgery and When Not to. So I hope you're enjoying this, and let's resume with when to have eye surgery and when not to. Stable glaucoma. Certainly surgery is not indicated if you have glaucoma and your pressures are under control with eye drops and there's no evidence of loss of visual field or damage to the optic nerve. Another area uh, which we have to discuss in a little bit more detail is the macular pucker. I'm seeing more and more patients with this condition. I think there are two reasons why. Number one, our diagnostic equipment is much more accurate. Typically, a lot of these patients we would miss, but now we have the equipment that we can pick it up earlier. Also, I believe that dirty electricity, electromagnetic energy, and toxins are in our environment are contributing to this. I talked with some alternative doctors, and they feel that there's a correlation with the smart meters that are being installed in the homes. And this admits a, uh, a radio frequency that is a type of dirty electricity, and it may be causing interference with the retinal function. So here's a patient, um, and you can see the white reflex. That's a pretty advanced cataract. And typically, when the eye is white like that, they can barely see hand motion and movement and light. Now certainly, cataract surgery would be indicated in this condition. And this is typically what we see on missions. We don't see people coming in with a little blurry vision. We see people that are blind. And, you know, I'm not going to talk to them about diet and nutrition, getting tested for heavy metals. They need surgery. They need surgery. But this type of problem is rare in the United States because there's eye surgeons lurking on every corner <laughs> looking for the white cataracts. <laughs> and here's another example. But on our mission work, we see these white cataracts in young kids, 16 and 18-year-olds. It's kind of shocking. And I think it has to do with their nutrition. They're nutritionally deficient, and they're getting the progression of cataracts. There are some alternative doctors that feel that cataracts are a type of vitamin C deficiency. It's called focal uh, scurvy. Uh, we've heard of scurvy. Scurvy is where you have complete vitamin C deficiency. You get a breakdown in collagen, bleeding of your gums, loss of teeth, 
vascular collapse, I mean, it ends up with death. That's complete vitamin C deficiency. But there's a focal scurvy, and some doctors feel that periodontal disease, cardiovascular disease, and cataracts are due to a focal form of scurvy. In other words, you're not getting enough vitamin C in your body. Uh, nobody is deficient because they're putting vitamin C in Fruit Loop cereal. So you get enough to prevent scurvy. But many of us have the focal form of scurvy. I'll answer all questions at the end. I don't. So glaucoma is a very complex disease. And I think I have to emphasize it's more than elevated pressure. It's the health of your optic nerve. And so my approach has always been, what can we do to improve the health of your optic nerve? Exercise, good nutrition, proper hydration, meditation, uh, relaxation, all these things can help. And then we have microcurrent, oxidative treatments, all these things that can benefit. So the way we monitor glaucoma, typically most people will monitor the glaucoma by... Um, checking their intraocular pressure. But if you have low tension glaucoma, or your pressure is always low, we need to have other parameters, and that's the visual field testing and the nerve fiber layer test. And these are probably the best ways we can monitor uh, your progression, your stability, or regeneration. Because uh, much to my joy, I'm seeing many patients who are embracing alternative therapies actually have improvements of their visual field and growth an improvement of the nerve fiber layer. So I do believe that nerve damage can be reversed. Now, macular pucker is a real tough problem. Um, and it's becoming more and more common. As I mentioned, one of the contributing factors is when that vitreous breaks away from the back of the eye. Sometimes that vitreous is attached to a small part of the macula, and it begins to pull on it, and it causes a wrinkling. And so this is called epiretinal membrane, macular wrinkler, macular hole. There's many, many different terms for this. So when to have surgery? You know, once again, my rule of thumb is if you have a macular pucker and you're able to function and you're not limited, why consider surgery? But if your vision is... If you're progressive, pro progressing and you're losing vision, and maybe you're doing alternative treatments and you're still losing vision, and you're disabled, you're not able to function, then surgery should be entertained. So here is what the wrinkling looks like in the back of the eye. And sometimes it can be more severe and be pulling on the retina. If you're a diabetic, and you begin to develop the macular wrinkle or macular pucker, I do think that surgery is probably indicated because in the diabetics, they tend to be more progressive and more visual loss occurs. That would be the only time that I would say to you, if you have diabetes and you're getting one of these problems, I would say you really need to look at the surgery. And you can see with our diagnostic testing, it becomes very clear that we can diagnose this condition earlier. So on the top, you can see the little separation in that inner layer 
that's the earliest sign, and here there's an advanced separation. Previously, an eye doctor would look in the eye, and I bet half of these cases were probably missed. It's tough to see by looking, you know, with, with a light. You need to do a scan like this to see. But the surgery is uh, rather complex. Uh, we need to go into the vitreous jelly, and we have to peel the membrane. Uh, it's a very complex surgery. And this past uh, year, I, I completed my vitreoretinal fellowship in Germany at uh, Bremen. It's one of the top eye institutes in the world. And they offer a two-week fellowship where I actually did many, many of these cases. And they have a simulator where it's almost like a video game. You're looking at a microscope, and you have the instruments, and you actually do the surgery. Because um, I'm prepared to do some of this work in the field when I do missionary work. For people that are going blind, they have a membrane, and it needs to be removed to help them regain their vision. Now, unfortunately, there are side effects of the macular pucker surgery. 100% of people after macular pucker surgery will develop a cataract. 100%. So many doctors, what they do is if you're going to have the macular pucker surgery, they will remove the cataract at the time of surgery. And then, of course, there is the problem with infection, loss of vision, retinal detachment, and the post-op period is not very pleasant. Some doctors want you to lie faced on for a week uh, no activity, because what they do is they put an air bubble or oil inside the eye to push the retina back into place. So there are some indications for the macular pucker surgery, but generally speaking, I would be very cautious. With The question is, any protocols for someone who has had retinal detachment surgery to help improve the vision? Very good question because the retinal detachment surgery is very successful. The doctor is normally able to put the retina back in place, but unfortunately the vision, the functioning vision, doesn't come back. The doctor will say, oh, perfect results, your retina looks great, but you as a patient can't see. The vision is blurred. That's where I believe that microcurrent, and all of the therapies that I discuss, microcurrent, light therapy, ozone treatments, changing your diet can help regenerate the eye. We're looking at these dysfunctional retinal cells, and we need to do everything we can to get those cells functioning better. We're coming up to a break on healthy vision, and you're listening to when to have surgery and when not to. And if you'd like a complete recording of the vision event, go to chondrotevent.com. That's chondrotevent.com. And when we come back, we'll continue with when to have surgery and when not to. Be right back after this break. No, it's unlikely. If you have a vitreous detachment, total separation of the vitreous, it's not pulling on the retina anymore. It's detached. That's so extremely unlikely that you will get a detached retina, extremely unlikely. And hopefully, and I believe that microcurrent and all the therapies I talked about can reduce 
<coughs> the inflammation and help improve some of your vision. Mm -hmm. It's unlikely. Typically, it's a unilateral condition. Usually, we just see it in one eye for some reason, but it can occur in both eyes. But you should look at what caused the macular wrinkle. And the most common cause is heavy metal toxicity, poor nutrition, toxins in your body. So I would encourage you to get tested for heavy metals. And do not go to your medical doctor, family doctor, and say, Doc, I want to get tested for heavy metals. He'll do a blood and urine test and he'll say everything's normal. You need to do a challenge test. Why is that? You could be dying of lead or mercury poisoning and your urine and blood will be normal because the lead and mercury goes into your bone, your brain, and your fat. You need to take a chelating agent, an oral agent, which draws out those metals, makes them soluble, and then it's measured. Because I see this time and time again. Urine test is normal. When I do a challenge test, the lead is off the chart. And most doctors who are doing uh, detoxification and treatment of heavy metal toxicity the urine test is, is the standard. The challenge test is the gold standard. Uh, there's a genetic test that you can do. Yeah, there's a company called Fit Genes uh, that we offer that genetic testing. And the thing I like about Fit Genes, it's much more comprehensive than 23andMe. Fit Genes will look at different aspects of your body to determine um, what dietary changes you have to make and also what nutrition you need. It identifies your genetic weakness and at the same time recommends dietary and nutritional changes you need to take to turn off those bad genes and keep the good genes running. For example, I took the genetic test and I found out that I had a genetic defect for manufacturing vitamin D. <coughs> so even though I may get a lot of sunlight, I need to take extra vitamin D because my body just isn't metabolizing it properly. But if you have macular degeneration, <coughs> I can probably guarantee you that you probably have a methylation defect. We did a study and we looked at patients with macular degeneration and 100% of them had a methylation defect. Uh, yes, it's called the um, fit genes test that we're doing. Fit Genes, F-I-T-G-E-N-E-S. And we offer that through our office. It's interesting because when, you know, genetic testing became um, popular and more and more patients were interested in it, my wife and I traveled to Australia. There's a company there called Fit Genes. And I think they have the most comprehensive uh, genetic testing program available. And uh, I interviewed the president of the company on my radio show you know, the work that he's doing, and he really believes in nutrigenomics. And I mentioned that earlier. Nutrigenomics is the science of using food, nutrition, and vitamins to turn off the bad genes and turn on the good gene. I give the office a call. It's a simple test. We give you a swab. You swab both sides of your inner cheek, put it in a tube. We mail it to Australia, and then when the test is complete, uh, they, I go to the cloud and I download it, and then I'll do a follow-up consultation with you, and we'll review all the genetic SNPs and what, what steps you need.
the question is, does stem cell injections in the eye help the macular pucker? They are looking at that. Uh, and there have been some studies done where they have injected stem cells under the macula, and there has been minimal or no change. N minimal or no change. And I'm going to talk more about stem cells uh, uh, later this afternoon. Because a macular pucker, I think, is due more to toxic and environmental changes. By toxic, I mean either a nutritional, um, toxins in your body, uh, dirty electricity. So it's, it's causing the damage. So you have to address those factors. Typically, the results indicate that you may want to take some additional key vitamins. The, uh, the, uh, the results we advise you on um, uh, a dietary, uh, what's the best uh, uh, dietary program to be on. You know, the Mediterranean diet, maybe you need more fats in your diet. Also, interestingly, the type of exercise. Um, there are some genetic types that aerobic exercise can actually cause you to gain weight. Anaerobic may be better. So we identify whether it's aerobic, anaerobic, what's the best exercise for you to do. Maybe weight strengthening, weight lifting. So it identifies your genetic makeup, and we kind of tailor a program that's best suited for you in terms of diet, nutrition, maybe some key vitamin supplements, and exercise. Um, I, have, I interviewed Samuel uh, Millman. Uh, he's the author of a book called Dirty Electricity. It's on my podcast. I don't have time to talk about that because I could talk about that for a day. But you can go to, go to chondrotpodcast.com, and all of my podcasts are there. And just search, and you'll see an interview I did on Dirty Electric. And unfortunately, we're going to be seeing a whole new generation of people with mental, emotional, and ocular problems, because now kids are growing up looking at their iPhone, their iPads, their computer. When I was a kid, I couldn't wait to go home, go out in the woods, run around, play ball, drink out of a dirty garden hose. Nowadays, kids come home, and they're on the computer. I get angry with my wife. We're at dinner, and she's on the iPhone. Where is she? Okay, there's always a cure du jour that comes out. Goji berries, aloe vera. Uh, what's, the, what's another one that was popular? Yeah, there's always these, these cures. But they did a study looking at all these exotic juices, the goji berry juice, aloe vera, um, mangosteen juice, and they compared it to apple juice. And apple juice turned out to be the most nutritious and had more nutritional things than any of those other things combined. So there's no magical cure, I guarantee you. But as I tell all of my patients, give it a try. I don't have all the answers. But typically, I believe that a good underlying cause of cataracts is general nutrition, three poisons. Salt, sugar, and hard water. There are the three poisons. Ophthalmologists knew that in the 1800s. They said the three poisons that cause cataracts. Salt, sugar, and hard water. And I think a vitamin C deficiency and also heavy metal toxicity.
numerous studies have shown that elevated lead is linked to cataracts. And just about every patient I see with advanced cataracts has elevated lead. So you've got to treat the lead, otherwise it's going to lead to other problems. I hope I'm one of them. I'm 70, I've got 10 more years to go. <laughs> but we see people, 90, no cataracts. Well, let me say this. Everybody after the age of 50 will have early cataracts. You'd ask for a copy of your most recent eye exam. We're interested in your acuity, everything that the eye doctor does at the eye exam. And photographs, if they're available. Uh, visual field and uh, any pictures that they've taken. Uh, it's probably better if you get them and you send them to us because typically all eye doctors' offices are busy, including ours. Somebody calls up for a record, we're not going to do it immediately. We're going to wait till we're not busy and do it. So they'll tell you, yeah, we'll send it. One month later, we still don't have them. But if you go to the doctor's office and say, I would like a copy of my records, by law, they have to give them to you. They're your property. And then you keep them. And I would advise all of you to keep your own copy of your medical records. Don't depend on someone else. Keep a copy. And then send it to us. And then I'll personally look at the records. I would not be able to talk to you, but I, we do this all the time. I review the records. I discuss it with the office staff. And then they, the office staff will call you. We're coming to a close on Healthy Vision. And thank you so much for listening to an excerpt from the Vision event called When to Have Eye Surgery and When Not To. If you want additional information and to get a copy of the complete event, go to chondrotevent.com. This is your host, Dr. Edward Chondrot, wishing all of you good health and clear vision. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. If you'd like to learn more about alternative eye treatments, access free reports, or subscribe to Dr. Kondrat's newsletter, visit us at HealingTheEye.com. If you enjoyed today's show, please write a review. We love hearing from listeners. To hear more episodes about alternative eye treatments, click subscribe and download all of our previous shows. We wish you good health and clear vision.